I'm Brad from Heinemann, and today on the podcast, we have a special conversation hosted by author Carl Anderson with his longtime friend and colleague, author Matt Glover. In Matt's recent book, Craft and Process Studies, Units That Provide Writers with Choice of Genre, he argues that focusing on craft and process teaches students important writing skills while also providing more opportunities for choice of genre. And when students pick their own genre, they become more invested and engaged in their work. Here now is Matt and Carl. Matt, it is so exciting for me to be uh, able to have a conversation with you today about your wonderful new book, Craft and Process Studies. And um, before we start with the conversation about the book, I, I've been reflecting on, on our relationship, and I, I think I've known you now for almost 15 years. We started, uh, we got to know each other in your old school district in Ohio, local Dakota school district, where you and your colleagues would bring me, Katie Ray, Georgia Hurd, Ralph Fletcher, Lester Laminack in. Each summer, it seemed like for many years, for an institute for hundreds of teachers, which was wonderful. We've met at many conferences since then, uh, since you've become a Heinemann author and consultant. I know we've presented at NCTE together. Uh, we present at the NISA conference in Istanbul. And um, it's always so wonderful to see you and learn from you. And of course, I, I've always I've been encountering you so many times in the wonderful books that you've read over the years. And I, I was thinking about this this morning, just how many books you've written over the last decade. I mean, already ready in 2008 with Katie Wood Ray about nurturing kindergarten and pre-K writers, um, engaging young writers in 2009, entry points for young writers into becoming writers. Uh, you wrote the wonderful projecting possibilities for writers in 2012 about designing unit of studies. And I am reading with Kathy Collins in 2015 on supporting young children's reading um, and, uh, and this brand new book, Craft and Process Studies. So um, we've been so lucky to just get all your wonderful thinking. And so yeah, it's funny to think back. That's been about 15 years or so. Yeah. Um, that was a long time ago at Lakota. And it's, you know, so much has changed since then, too, because um, at that point, I was just starting to figure things out around conferring and writing workshop and thinking things through and um, learned so much from you and the other people at that institute. So I've been, um, it's kind of bizarre to be talking with you today like this, because um, I think back to how much I've learned from you over the years and, and where I was 15 years ago compared to now. So it's, um, Nice to just have a chance to be able to talk like this um, as colleagues, yeah. which is um, different than it was 15 years ago. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I've continued to learn and grow too. And a lot of that has come from talking to you, hearing you speak, and from reading your wonderful books. So um, so, so let's um, let's zoom in on craft and process studies. And mainly what I want to talk about today is uh, I think the book has so many interesting implications for conferring. But I, I would like you to just talk a little bit first about what motivated you to write that write this book, and uh, you know what need do you think this book addresses? Matt? Really, the driving force behind it is an issue of engagement, and it really being um, interested in how we support student engagement, and increasingly becoming concerned about students who um, might be less engaged writers. And one of the things that certainly impacts that is choice, choice of topic. Mm -hmm. Children mm -hmm. have meaningful yep. topics will impact that, and choice of genre as well. And increasingly, I work in schools where children have no choice of genre. It's just not at all uncommon for me now to be in a school where every unit of study from kindergarten through the end of sixth grade is a genre study and children mm -hmm. never choose mm -hmm. genre. And we know so much about how um, having a genre that you really care about impacts children's engagement and not just for less confident writers or reluctant writers, but for all writers, having a genre you care about impacts, impacts engagement. All children don't have the same level of energy for the same genre. And so whenever we, we're choosing a genre, somebody's going to be less engaged. And I always have to be careful in talking about that because it's not an anti-genre stance. I love genre studies. It's just that it's not the only thing we should be studying. 
Right. And I, I in no way took from your book that it was anti-genre study. I also love genre studies and fine inquiry into particular genres would be very exciting. But I do think you make a really important point about student engagement and uh, that when every study is a genre study, there's there are always some kids that seem left out and um, aren't as motivated to write because they don't have that choice. So, you know, as, as I read the book, Matt, um, you know, I kept thinking about how all these wonderful units of study in which students can choose the genres in which they write, which is what the book is all about. It has so many implications for conferring. And I, I think the, the very first implication is that in conferences, uh, when we're not in a genre study, we're in a, when we're in a study where kids can choose their own genre, uh, we start conferences not necessarily knowing what genre kids are writing in. And I, I think that's a really interesting thing to think about. And I remember watching you do a writing conference in the school we were both working in, in Indiana years ago. And I remember the question that you asked over and over again to kids, so striking to me. Um, the question was, what are you making? And I'm just, I'd like you to unpack that question a little bit and, um, and why you think it's such an important question to ask. Yeah, well, what's interesting about that question is you can only ask it if you're in a study other than a genre study. I mean, we don't ask children who are in a how-to unit. What are you what, making? What are they making? Right, because yeah. we know what they should be making. Wait, now, right, we may ask right. if it's clear they're not, but it's even being able to answer, ask that question would imply that children have a choice of genre. So that makes right. that question significant right off the bat. And it really gets at that word making really gets at what's this thing that you're creating. If we even care about children understanding genre, one of the ways to do that is when they choose genres and they have to articulate, yeah, here's what I'm making today. Here's the genre I'm writing. And that thinking is very different than when a genre is assigned. And so um, that question um, implies so much about children's ownership and decision making that you, you have when you have control over what are you actually creating. Yeah, yeah. You know, it is interesting to think about when kids get to choose their own genre, they get to learn so many things. Um, you know, they get to think, you know, sometimes you just love a genre and you get to explore it. And it's a really interesting thing to think about. I have a purpose for writing, but which genre best enables me to do that um, for the audience that I'm writing for? And um, so... Um, you know, right. Well, think about what, you know, what writers have to do in terms of thinking about aligning audience, purpose, genre, and topic, yeah. right? And to have all those things line up. And if you don't have control over all of them, it's difficult to make those kind of decisions. Right, right. And I, I think I was so struck by that question because it made me reflect on how I very rarely ask it because so many studies are genre studies. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot in the last couple of weeks. It's genre does come up sometimes in conferences about genre. Um, but usually it's about the kid is having, the child's having some trouble, you know, with segueing into the genre, to transitioning into the genre. Um, and uh, I had a conference with the sixth grader where he was writing a book review. And he says, you know, my teacher kept saying, this is not a book report, it's a book review. And I'll get in trouble if I, if I write a book report. So he was really trying to grapple with the idea of this new genre, but he didn't have any choice in that. He had to write a book review. So he wasn't experiencing what writers over the world experience of, um, of deciding this genre and why. And they can make then conferring in that in, in a unit like that um, where children have choice of genre a little different right um, if you're used to only conferring in genre studies then the first thing you know we look at and think about when you sit down next to a child is what genre are they writing in are they writing right. in the genre they're supposed to and are they writing in that and what's interesting about craft and process studies then is genre is the last thing I should consider teaching in a mm -hmm. craft or a process study mm -hmm. yet it's mm -hmm. the first thing that comes to mind so if you think of it like this um, the first thing we should be thinking about in a, or one of the th first things we think about in any conference would be, well, what are our unit goals? What are we working towards? How is this right. conference going to help a child work towards the goals for this unit? 
And then if they if they, we can't think of something related to the unit goals, then we would teach them something that would help them in any unit of study. Right. And so right. in a genre study, that's fairly straightforward. What's related to the genre, what's related to the unit goals, and then what else would be helpful. Where this gets challenging for me, at least, is then when I'm in a craft and process study, the first thing we should be thinking about are the unit goals. So if I was in a punctuation study, the first thing we should be looking at is what's your punctuation like? How are you crafting, right? Right. Using punctuation. Next thing I should think about would be, well, what else would help you as a writer? And then the last thing I should be thinking of is, well, what's the actual genre you're writing in? Because if I teach into that actual genre, it won't meet the unit goals. And is not helping them in any other unit of study, probably either, if it's right, really right. A, a real genre specific teaching point. Yeah, what happens for me is when I sit down next to a child, I'm so used to looking at everything through a lens of genre that even if when I'm in a punctuation study and a fourth grader is writing a mystery, first thing that jumps to mind, all my mystery teaching points, right? Yep, all things yep, related yep, to writing yep, mysteries. Yep. And those are the last things I should be going for. And I think it just, it's not any harder. It just takes a little getting used to if you've only been thinking about genre first rather than genre last. Right. You know, I, I think that um, when I'm working with kids in genre studies, one of the questions I, I often ask kids is, you know, what are you doing to write really well? Which really means, what are you doing to write well in this genre? And it is interesting. You know, one of the questions that I'm sure you get too from teachers is, you know, in the research part of a conference, you know, how do you know what questions to ask? And it seems to me that our questioning will be different in craft and process studies where kids can choose genres because if you're teaching kids to read like a writer or you're teaching them to an illustration study or a punctuation study and those are your unit goals, it seems like that's going to drive our questioning in a different direction. So, Yeah, absolutely. Because the first, um, you know, one of those questions first is going to be the research questions is what are you making? Talk to me a little bit about your writing. How's it going? All those things. That yep, yep, yep. But then there's usually a, a key question that I'm asking that kind of relates to the unit goals. And this helps not only think students understand what the goals and, you know, what we're shooting for in this particular unit, but it helps teachers keep that in mind also. Right. Because one of the things that will happen sometimes with craft and process studies is that teachers, if they're not used to them, will feel like, or say that they feel like they're kind of fuzzy, right? That they're Mm -hmm. not quite sure what they're teaching towards. Well, there's lots of little things that will help clarify those units, having a clear, um, you know, knowing exactly what you're going to do at the writing celebration and how that's going to show what they've learned will help. And there's lots of little things that will help. But one of the things I'll clarify those units is that if you're going to ask the in every conference the same question, right? if you're going to ask one question to start at every conference, I'm not saying you have to only ask that question, but mm-hmm. if you were going to ask the same question at the beginning of every conference that would get at the unit goals, what would that key question be? Mm-hmm. And so if it was, like you said, if it was an um, illustration study, talk to me about your most um, interesting illustration move you've made so far, or talk yep. to me about how yep. you um, a page where your illustration and words work particularly well together, or if it's a punctuation study, what's the most, um, what's the new type of punctuation that you've tried out in this piece of writing, or what are you getting ready to think about trying next, yep. or yep. in a um, revision study, I mean, the revision is always going to be, what's, what's the most powerful revision move you've made? And I'm not going to ask it as, have you made any revision moves? That would imply maybe you did or maybe you didn't. It's just going to ask us that positive, positive presupposition. Well, what revision moves have you made? Right? What's the most powerful one you've made? And so yeah. I think those kind of questions help teachers also keep in mind what the big focus for this unit is. What are we working towards? And if we're asking those kind of questions that cut across the genres right off the bat, it helps us avoid that um, falling into that genre trap. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really big takeaway that some of the important questions we're going to ask um, children in any unit of study, genre study or a craft and process study are, are going to be really linked to our unit goals. And um, and keeping those unit goals in mind are going to really help us with our questioning and centering the conference in a way that is going to help deepen the study that the class is, is on. 
So um, I think that's a really powerful takeaway, Matt. Well, and of course, I mean, that's no different with genre studies, right? It's the yeah, same yeah. thing, but if you, it helps kind of clarify the focus for those craft and process studies. Right, right. And I think it helps us to understand that in the genre study, we may be asking kids what they're doing to write well. You know, I don't think we always realize we're doing that because it is a genre study. And, um, and you know, we are hoping that kids are going to learn to write well in the particular genre we're studying. So that question really is tied to unit goals as well. So anyway, um, let's think about something else too here. And let's think about the mentor text, um, which I'm sure you get the same question from teachers in your work too, is teachers are always wanting to know where to find good mentor text. And, you know, in a genre study, it's challenging even to find text in that genre that are, are appropriate for, um, you know, to show kids uh, what that genre, how that genre goes. But, you know, I'm, I'm wondering um, in general, you know, how, when you're collecting, when you're building your stack of mentor texts for a craft and process studies, what are some of the challenges that, um, you know, that, that what are, what are, what's different about finding um, a mentor text in those kinds of studies? Yeah. So one of the things off the bat is that we have to make sure that we have a range of genres represented in our stack. Right? Mm-hmm. Because if we only have one genre represented, then we've made it a genre study. Right. Yep, so if, yep. we, if we say this is a um, an illustration study, let's just say, and I only put stories in there or I only put right, um, right. realistic fiction stories in. And now we've made it a realistic fiction unit, whether we tell them they can choose their, you know, we can tell them over and over, you can choose your genre. But for only showing one genre and the teacher's writing that the teacher's using is also in that same genre mm-hmm. and all the students we have are in the same genre, then it's it's a genre study. One of the tips would be that we need to make sure we have more than one genre represented in our stack. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. And then, but what also makes it easy is that it doesn't matter which genres we have because teachers will often say, oh my gosh, I have eight different genres going on in my class right now. How am I going to get eight different stacks of text for all these different students? And do I have to have eight samples of my own writing? And actually, you don't have to have any of the genres children are writing in because we're not teaching into the genre. Right, right. Thinking about it from a conferring standpoint, when we have texts that we're using in conferences, um, when I sit down next to a child, let's say I had two published mentor texts with me and the child's writing in a different genre, that shouldn't matter at all because I don't need the genre. I'm teaching something about illustration or punctuation or whatever it is. I don't need the same genre. And in fact, here's where it really gets interesting. Often when I have a child who's writing in, let's say, realistic fiction and I have a realistic fiction story with me, and I have an informational all-about book with me. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I, happen to, I happen in that case to have the same genre the child's writing in. I often go to the other genre. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Rather than showing it in the same genre and running the risk of them thinking, oh, this is a realistic fiction technique. If I show, it in a, if I show the same technique in a genre different than the one the child's writing in, that helps them see, oh, this, this craft move cuts across genres, right? Which actually starts right, to make right. them more powerful. I worry a lot about when children start to see different writing techniques as being siloed into a particular genre that right, what we learn right. in the poetry unit never crosses over into anything else. And what we right. learned in this essay unit won't cross over into my story writing. A lot of those crafts, crafting techniques cut across genre. And so right. when we're conferring, if we have more than one genre with us and we sometimes use a genre different than the child's writing in, it helps them see how that cuts across. Right. I think that's such a powerful idea. And, you know, we're about building repertoire of crafts that, that cross genres. And I was, I was thinking of an example that, you know, if I'm teaching a child in an illustration study that, you know, you can in your illustration have several panels, like a comic mm-hmm. strip. I can sh- if a kid's writing a story, I can still show that to them in a ne- you know in a nonfiction book and say this is a craft technique that you can split a, a picture into several panels like this. It, it isn't specific to story, 
it's a technique that writers use in really every genre in a picture book where there's illustrations. I, I think that's a really important thing for kids to see. Yeah, um, was, across time. Saw, yeah, I saw that yesterday. Just, I was in the, with a group of sixth grade teachers, and we were looking really closely, trying to get better at reading like a writer, and looking really closely at specifically what this author is doing. And three fourths of what we noticed cut across genres. We could find genre, the same same technique in all sorts of other genres really quickly. And so, right, um, right. It helps. I think I think that that makes those those techniques much more powerful for students when they know that they can use them in a variety of places. I think that's a really really powerful idea, and um, just for us to grapple with in in our work with kids. So you know, another thing that struck me about mentor texts in your book, um, you know, first off, I, I just do want to step back and just I'm so thankful that you actually describe 17 different units of study in which students students can have choice of genre. What an incredible resource for teachers. Um, I've got, where was this book 20 years ago when I was a classroom teacher? I would have, I would have, I, I think I did do some approximations of some of these units, um, you know, or very, very, you know, very basic versions of them, nowhere near as well thought out as you've done here. But so many of them I never conceived of as a classroom teacher. And um, so anyway, I just think one of the, you know, Teachers just need to know there's so many great ideas for units of study that are that provide you know writers with choice of genre. Um, well, so I, but, I can say the same thing though. I can say, Carl, where, where were you 30 years ago when I was teaching first grade and I didn't have a writing uh-huh. workshop in place, right? So uh-huh. <laughs> same way. Well, one of the interesting, you know, um, one of the features that I just really love in every one of these unit uh, descriptions you uh, have this section on what, how to be prepared for conferences, you know, a, a section on that. And um, could you talk about what do you mean by preparation for conferences and, and why you included these sections? So one of the big things I'm trying to get at, and this is you know, something that I've you know, very specifically learned from you, is thinking about when we're teaching in a conference that we need to actually be teaching rather than telling, reminding, correcting which aren't really showing children how to do things. It's just telling them what to do. Yep. And I remember so clearly, you know, first time I heard you talk about, yeah, here's how we're going to pull um, my own writing out or I'm going to use um, published writing or student samples in a, in a conference. And so I think that's something that in general, in any, in any unit of study, genre, craft, or process, that makes learning much more powerful for students is when when we're actually teaching and showing children how to do something. Mm-hmm. And so part of it was including the, that portion in each of those 17 units was kind of a, that reinforcement, that reminder of, okay, we need to always be having our own writing. We need to have student samples with us. Less often now, instead of using student samples, I'm using students in the classroom or bringing one student mm-hmm. over to be the mentor for someone else. And, um, and we need to have published writing. So part of it was to remind them of that. But then to go deeper with that, it's also the issue of, all right, well, what, what, genre of my own writing do I need? What what student samples do I need? What how can I have these tools pulled together that are going to be focused again around the unit goals? Mm-hmm, so they're not mm-hmm. focused around genre, but focused on the unit goals. And if I have these tools with me, I'm going to be much, much more prepared for a conference. Right. Yeah. Um if if I if I have that toolkit ready to go and I've been thoughtful about what goes in there. You know, for example, I might want to have more than one sample of my own writing in different genres, just like mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. published text. And even, again, to try to make that easy, what worries me sometimes is teachers will say, oh, my gosh, now I've got to go write all these different things. I really don't. I would just pull pieces of writing from other units that I'm already using in the year. Mm-hmm, right? I mm-hmm. don't need to create something new for this unit. I can show um, revision moves and punctuation moves or whatever in other pieces of writing that I've already had. So, again, right, right. part of this is to 
reinforce really big ideas, but also to make it easier for teachers in some ways. Pulling a tools to teach with in a craft or a process study is even easier than in a genre study. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's an interesting way of seeing it. You know, I, I was this whole idea of preparation. I think is so important. I was reflecting with some teachers uh, in New York City on Wednesday um, that you know, if you think about writing workshop as let's say forty five minutes and ten minute mini lesson, five minute share, means thirty of the forty five minutes is independent writing and conferring time, and that is the majority of our t- instructional time is in conferences. So. You know, I, I think we want to, you know, just you're making the point so well in these units that we need to be just as prepared for our conferences as we are for our mini lessons or our small group work that we do with kids. Um, well, and it's interesting it's a, when you break it down time-wise like that and just thinking about where do teachers spend more time preparing, right? Um, do they getting spending more time getting ready for those 10-minute mini lessons yeah. that um, aren't going to meet everyone's needs often because they have such yeah. a wide range of students? Right. Or are we spending some time preparing for the most powerful teaching we do in conferences? The end that are trickier. So if we do that little bit of preparation, I mean, think about how much trickier conferences are than mini lessons, right? Because no one goes into a mini lesson thinking, "Oh, I wonder what I'm going to teach in this mini lesson." Yeah, no, yeah. I'm teaching a mini lesson we prepare yeah. for. Whereas a conference is going to have that sense of, "Yeah, I don't know what to teach until you start talking." But there are so many things that we could do. Again, learn from you, looking at student writing in advance, right? If I yeah. just look at student writing a little bit to get prepared for this conference, I'll be way closer to a teaching point. I'll have a much better sense of where this conference might go if I've spent just a few minutes looking at their writing. Right, right. One thing I was just thinking about, Matt, was just, you know, in these craft and process studies where kids can choose their own genre, just how exciting it is for a teacher to be conferring because you never know what you're going to be. Fo- I mean, you know, you're going to be focusing on the unit goals, but, you know, just the, the incredible wide variety of things that children write when they get to choose the genre they're writing. And I think that just brings a freshness to conferring, to know that in this conference, I'm working on a cookbook with the child. In this conference, I'm working on a graphic novel with the child. This conference, I'm working on a feature article with the child. I think it, just from my perspective, you know, my own personal sense of, God, this is, gosh, this is interesting for me, um, you know, to have kids doing so many things is just so exciting. My, my wife has given my son a pair of socks for every night of Hanukkah this year. And I think for the first two nights, he'll be excited by it. But by the third through, you know, the rest, through eight nights of Hanukkah, he's going to be like, oh, another pair of socks. And, you know, um, I just think it's kind of like that in a, in a genre study. As much as I love genre studies, we know what the kids are doing. And I, right. it's so much fun to work with kids when they're doing different things. And I love it when I'm surprised. I mean, I love it when I have a child and I'm like, all right, I have no idea what genre this is. This is a really interesting piece of writing. I'm not yeah, quite yeah. sure. Genre. I mean, right. that, and those are such enjoyable conferences or the conferences I have where I have very little frame of reference for the genre. We can still teach into that, but those are such fun, interesting conferences. One of my favorite conferences in the book is with this um, little guy where I knew he had a memoir that he was working on, but then he also started talking about this rap battle that he was in. He'd been writing these raps, Uh this rap battle going back and forth with the instructional assistant in the classroom. So I ended up having a conference into thinking about word choice and all in his in his rap which you talk about genres i know very little about that's yeah not my, that's not my go-to genre but it was a it was one of my favorite conferences it's just like all right this is going to be really interesting to think about what are the common things you need regardless of what the genre is right one of my favorite conferences ever that i've ever had was with a eighth grader i taught in kentucky many years ago and she really surprised me i sat down with her and most of the kids, I, it was early in my writing workshop experience, and so a lot of kids were writing stories, but she was doing a parody. And she was doing a parody, really, of me and my class, her class. And she did it by just having the Beatles uh, 
Paul McCartney have a writing conference with John Lennon, and it was utterly a, a roasting of me and my my teaching and writing workshop, just in the only the way an eighth grader can do. But it was just such a wonderful surprise to encounter a child who found a genre that was really interesting to write in for her to accomplish a, an important purpose to just kind of needle her eighth grade teacher a little bit. So well, anyway, think what that does too in opening up possibilities for children. I mean, what's nice yeah. about this is. That may have been the first parody she ever had written, right? She doesn't, yeah. you don't have to you don't have to know very much about a genre to be able to go try it out. That's, I see students all the time who are writing in genres that they're really engaged in that they have never really had a um, like I said this child was writing this uh, movie script. You know, she had never had a movie script unit of study. Yeah, right? yeah. But she but she cared a lot about them was figuring out how to write in that genre. And I think about what great genre work that is when you have to figure out right, I'm gonna write this parody or I'm gonna write this movie script. I have to think about how am I going to do this. That thinking is so different than when it's um being directed by a, in a genre study. Yeah, it's it's fascinating, isn't it? You know, in some of the units that you uh describe so well in your book, um it made me think about how they require different kinds of mentor texts than, you know, that we traditionally think of mentor texts as published texts by authors or what we, you know, a, a finished text that we've written or a student's written. But, you know, in some of the units you're writing about, like uh, the Launching Writing Workshop unit or the Revision unit, it seems like we need some different kinds of mentor texts to be prepared to support the unit goals in, in these studies. Yeah, I agree. I mean, especially something like a revision unit, right? Let's take that one, for example. There's not, like, I can't show revision moves really in a published text. I mean, I know mm-hmm. that in any published text we're looking at, I know the author made revisions, but I don't know what they are or I can't show them. So I have to rely heavily on my own writing then to show revision moves that I'm making and to rely heavily on student writing. But mm-hmm. there is an equivalent of published text, and that's video clips of authors talking yeah. about their writing. Long ago, I used to go to, you know, quotes and we find things that people that authors were saying about revision, but now it's so much easier to find video clips of authors talking about revision. And so um, often in many lessons, I'm going to those clips for, you know, a unit like how to have better peer conferences. You can now just go and watch what do authors say about talking with their um, talking with other people. Why is it important to talk with others about their writing? So I started to pull these together for teachers in this, mm-hmm. um, in this website, author to author.org um, where it's just, um, I've been interviewing authors and finding clips on the web and linking to those on the sites just to make it um, easy for teachers to be able to, you know, skim through and find a video clip they want of an author who they know or enjoy to hear what they say about revision or some of these process studies um, or their author's process that are sometimes invisible on the page. Right, right. I mean, it's fascinating to think of a mentor text as a as a videotape of an author talking about, you know, his or her process. You know who does that well is Dan Fagelson in his, his Practical Punctuation book. He includes so many nice quotes from authors talking about how they approach the use of punctuation. I, I think it was really it's really interesting in that particular book how he positions that part of writing with these very famous writers to help teach kids about the importance of punctuation. So I, yeah, I think that's really interesting how you do, you're doing that with the revision study and how you talk about you know a writer's notebook as a mentor text in the launching writers workshop unit, for example. It's just I, I think your book helps us broaden our sense of the kinds of mentor text or text quote unquote that um, are going to be important to to show kids to help them focus on the aspect of the unit that, that we're zooming in on. One thing that helps a lot when we think about people like um, Ralph Fletcher and other people who talk about really being mentor authors yep. as much as mentor texts that we're learning from. Mm-hmm. Our oh, yeah, yeah. And so that helps broaden right that definition of what we could look at a mentor text if it's really how are we learning from what authors do. 
I think you're absolutely right. We need to make sure kids understand that we are studying mentor authors and their work because we want kids to become these kinds of people. So we want to talk about the text in a way that makes it obvious that people wrote these texts. It's not a magical thing. People, I, I always love how when kids meet me in a school and they say, you just look like a dad. And uh, they have this <laughs> idea that an author is some exotic kind of person and authors look like everybody. The version I get of that is when I walk in, into a class and the teacher has made the mistake of saying, oh, we have this author coming to talk to us. And um, they'll say, did you write Knuffle Bunny? And I'm like, no. And yeah. like, they'll yeah. start asking me all these different things. And you can just see them deflate, right? You can yeah. just see them yeah. like, uh, we're really not that interested in you after all. Yes. So. I, I was walking out of PS321, my daughter's school once I've been doing, at one of my children's school in Brooklyn, and uh, I was in the playground with my daughter, and I heard some kid yell, mom, mom, there's Eric Carl." Um, it's like <laughs> referring to me. I thought that was funny. So I've, I've yeah. got one more, one more question yeah. for you, Matt. And it's, um, I just want to just stay with this mentor text piece a little bit more because I, I just, I, I think it's such an important aspect of teaching writing. And I think your book really, really helps us think about that. Um, but you know, when I was reading the acknowledgement page of your book, Matt, and, um, and I was struck by the incredible diversity of schools that you work in, you know, you, you, you work in schools, uh, from Kansas City to Houston to Jakarta to Johannesburg, you are literally all over the world. So partly I get exhausted reading your acknowledgement page. I don't know how you do it. But also it's very exciting for me to think that, you know, all these schools have had access to you and your thinking. And um, and so you work with an incredible diversity of students. And I'm, I'm just, I'd like your, uh, some thinking from you um, just to help me think about this. Uh, how do we make sure the mentor texts that we choose are going to be good for the diverse students that we work with? Um, you know, how, how can you help teachers who are trying really hard to make sure their mentor texts are, are ones that diverse students are going to be able to relate to and learn from? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing we always have to keep in mind in any unit of study, anything we're reading in schools, is that over time in the range of what we're reading and using, can students see themselves in those pieces of writing? So I think that first step is just being aware of what types, especially when we're thinking stories, but other types of writing too. Can students see themselves in that, right? Are they ones that they'll relate to? Are there settings, characters, families that look similar to theirs, right? And that they relate to in that way. And one of the things that's a little easier about this again in these types of studies is that there are some units where finding a stack of text is harder than other units. Like yeah, personal, yeah. You know, finding true stories in um, primary grades is a trickier stack to pull. And sometimes when it's a trickier stack to pull, it's a little trickier. Or it might be harder to have the range and diversity that we really need to have. And so then sometimes I have to use other things to kind of supplement that stack. Right. But it's easier when I, if I just need a piece of writing that has interesting punctuation for a yeah. punctuation study, I've got the whole world of writing out there then to look at. And the other way to look at it is then there's less of a, an excuse not to have those um, types of writing that our students will relate to when I've got the whole world of writing to be able to go to. I'm not limited by this particular genre and can, what can I find in that genre. I've got, the, I've got all genres I can look at then to pull from if I have a right. better vision for that. Right. So yeah, I, I couldn't agree more that I'm trying to get better at all time of having a more diverse stack of text. Now, and last thing is I think it's particularly important though for less engaged writers, which is, again, so much of what I think about, in that those are students where we need to do everything we can to um, catch their attention, to engage them. To um, And one of those would certainly be just the text that we're using. Yep, so yep. I think we have to maximize every opportunity we have to impact engagement. 
Right. It seems like it's two dimensions of it. You know, I, I want, as you said, I'd like kids to see themselves in the stories that they're reading as, as mentors in, in writing workshop. I'd also like to see them reflected in the authors too. I, I'd like to, that we have a, a diverse set of authors, not just for narrative, but for nonfiction, for opinion and argument writing, or all the kinds of writing that kids can do where we can do that. Because I want kids to be able to say, people like me, write this, these kinds of things. I think that's something that I, I'm trying to think more and more about um, and get better at, you know, in that dimension of it too. Well, it ties right back into what you were saying a second ago about, you know, thinking about mentor authors, right? In that mm-hmm. there are times where, you know, people will read um, writing to children and not talk about who the author is or show a photograph, right? Yeah, of, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get better at making sure that in the back of every book I have, I have a photograph of the author so that the student's are seeing what these um, people look like, not just in terms of characters, but in terms of who's writing this, right? Or the minute to make sure I'm reading author's notes or finding little bits of background about authors. Because if, if we if we just mention the author's name, often students were missing an opportunity to go a little bit deeper with that. Yeah. So, so Matt, um, gosh, it's been such a privilege to talk to you about your book. I mean, it is, I, you know, this morning, it, it is my hope that your book is just read far and wide. I think you know, and all the things you talked about today, just, you know, the word engagement is something that just weaves throughout all of your books. And I, I think that your book is making such an important, you know, contribution and just helping us think about this important way of engaging writers to give them more choice of, of genre in studies. But I, I just hope that so many people read your book, because not everyone can have you come to their school, it, although it does seem like you're in most schools in the world, not everyone can have you. And uh, I'm just so grateful that you took the time to, to write this, this new book. It is, it is marvelous. It is important. Uh, it's one of the most important books I've read recently um, about teaching writing. And um, I, just, I, I just hope it's read far and wide. Well, that, that means a tremendous amount coming from you, who I've learned so much from, so I really appreciate that. It's been great talking to you, Matt. Thank you so much. It's so much fun. Our thanks to Matt and Carl for their time today. You can find Matt on Twitter, at MattGlover123. You can find Carl on Twitter at ConferringCarl, all one word. Craft and Process Studies is available now from Heinemann.com. Learn more and download a sample chapter at blog.heinemann.com. As always, thanks for listening.